there is no God in the world. There is no God in a baby being born with Down's syndrome. I saw a mother in Detroit. Jerry and I had her up on the platform with us. Her baby was born with Down syndrome and leukemia. She said it was the happiest little baby. And uh, that God took the baby from her. She no longer believed in God. Of course she would no longer believe in God. She would think that God would want a baby to be born with leukemia and Down syndrome to waste away in the mother's arms. There is no God in nature. There is no God in lightning starting fires, burning up baby animals, devastating wildlife, setting birds on fire even as they set the flight. There is no God in tornadoes that drive splinters of wood through people's faces. There is no God in people being born with hair lips and, and uh, birthmarks. There is no God in bankruptcy. There is no God in, in the gradual loss of the brain cells, deterioration of the vision, loss of hearing, feebleness and death. This is not what God made. Nor can we say that man made a mess of this. Because there is no God in the in the earth opening up and houses falling into holes and rains coming and homes that people have saved all their life for being washed away. There's no God in a, in a spider that keeps its prey alive while it dismembers it. And all the other things that you have seen that animals do to each other, hyenas and baboons and, and insects. Of course people lose their faith if they think God has anything to do with that. is not because man has made a mess of it. It just has nothing to do with God. God is a presence and a beauty and a blanket of love and an ocean of gentleness upon which we can set sail. God is a light that shines within every living thing. 
But he is not these decaying cages of flesh, nor did he create them. Didn't create bodies that have to get lower back pain. His kidneys aren't made to function properly. Let us not attribute to divine love to infinite gentleness what is so clearly not a part of it because if we do we're simply going to become extremely bitter sooner or later because something's going to happen. It, it can happen quite young. You could have gone to Sunday school and then you see your dog run over. There is no God in that. Now, most of us here in this room think that we have gone beyond the name brand religions, you see. We don't believe that. You know, we, we, we don't believe that. But we make the same mistake in another form. No, we don't attribute this carnage to God. But we make another mistake, and that is we think we can bring God into this mess. We can make it into God. We can take God's laws of love and hope and strength and somehow take little parts of this nightmare and, and perfect it. And when we turn to God, indeed the, word, the world sings. Indeed we see immense beauty. And this is, of course, extremely confusing to people who are starting out on their journey back to God. As almost every one of you here is doing. You've already gotten to the point in your life in which you realize that there has got to be a better way. You've seen the light at least a little bit and you have decided that you will walk toward that light and you will give the gift of light to others. And in your heartfelt turning to God, you have seen the world become splendorous and gentle. You've seen how dear and gentle are all the people. But do not make the mistake of thinking that the bodies you see are gentle. This is why people suddenly stop locking their doors and stop using seat belts and, and stop uh, taking out insurance and all this stuff because they have confused two things. They have confused God, our source, our life, our home, our inheritance with this world. God can shine through this world with intensity. And we've all had that happen. But it is a mistake to then try to take God 
and apply it to the world and make our children model children or to make our spouse a model spouse or to get our car running right. See, It's not going to happen. To pretend that it does happen is merely to exercise our dishonesty and it serves no purpose. But it is a mistake that almost all of us make when we begin this journey home. Because it is confusing. Why does the world turn to loveliness? I remember when, uh, as many of you know, I was a militant atheist, whatever a militant atheist is. I carry some sort of anti-God gun or something. I don't know what I know. <laughs> For many years. Then uh, we all find God constantly throws us these little lifesavers and uh, There's always something for everyone. There's always someone to talk to for everyone. There's always a book. There's a church. Maybe there's a bumper sticker. It's hard to believe, but there may be one. Some place out there, there's probably a good bumper sticker. Something happens, and we say, ah, that's right, I forgot. I forgot. And remembering, we begin walking in a new direction. The little lifesaver that that I grabbed hold of happened to be Joel Goldsmith. I bought all of his tapes and read his books and steeped myself in Joel Goldsmith for about a year. And as I've told some of you, he suggested something I knew I could do. My chubby little body, you know I cannot get in the lotus position. <laughs> and I, just, I got very confused when I would try to pray because I thought I was disturbing someone, you know. <laughs> Going to these long explanations as to why I had to Asked this question at this particular time, and I could wait till later. You know, I had to drop all that stuff. But Joe Goldsmith said, Well, why don't you just try sitting in a chair and listening? Just whenever you feel like it. Don't ask what you're listening to, just sit in a chair and listen. Well, that's all God needs. All God needs is an open door. We don't have to make out an engraved invitation. We just open the door. <coughs> and nothing opens the door like stillness. Be still and know that I am God. And so I, I thought, well, gosh, that's something I can do. I can sit in a chair. I knew right off I could do that. <laughs> so I started sitting in a chair and just listening. I'd listen as long as I wanted to. And then I would get up and I'd go about the day and uh, I felt like it. I'd sit down again, listen. 
you know what happened, of course. I began feeling that there was indeed something that watched over me and loved me very, very dear, dearly. Now, I couldn't, I didn't have words for that. I wasn't about to use the word God for it, but there was no denying the experience. Something did indeed love me. I felt it. It was as real as the chair. It was as real as the floor that my feet were on. We've all had that experience. Maybe just a moment of it. Maybe it's been a long time since you've had it and you you doubt it now. But you've had the experience. Maybe when you were lying on the grass as a child and you're looking up at the clouds and seeing different animals in the clouds. Suddenly you knew it was going to be all right. He was there to guide you home. But what is the you that he is guiding home? Is, this, is it this thing that was born with thick ankles? <laughs> or hair that you can't do anything with? <laughs> Of course not. It's that it's the love in your heart. It's the peace in your heart. It's the image and likeness of pure spirit, pure love. It's not this shabby self-image, this thing that's destined only to annihilation. But it's this sweetness that we carry inside. That's what God made of us. That's what he's carrying home. Of course, the body and the ego thinks it's going along too. We all know that. You know? <laughs> thinks it's walking right along to heaven. You see. <laughs> well, so I've started this form of meditation, you see. And uh, I remember Gail and I were meditating one day. We called it meditation. That was all right. See, still kind of being semi-atheist, so you can call it meditation. We were meditating. We had a good meditation. Now, that's a, that's a subject for a whole other talk. <laughs> what is a good meditation? <laughs> and there was a hail. This is fairly early in our time here at Santa Fe. We didn't quite understand the weather here in Santa Fe, but uh, there was one of these hailstorms, you know, that come in the middle of the summer, you know, that kind of thing. And it devastated vegetable gardens all over Santa Fe and right up Tonneau Road until it got about a few hundred feet from our house and it stopped. Didn't get our vegetable garden. Our little plants, everybody else's were just devastated. See, Don't think we didn't talk about that. <laughs> Even to the people whose vegetable gardens <laughs> Of course, they were so happy for us. <laughs> now, two years later, it only hailed where we lived. <laughs> you think we you think we told anybody about that? 
<laughs> of course, this is the silly stuff we get into if we think that there's some way to control God. There's some way to, to uh, unlock God's cruel, cruel heart, do you see? We, we found this, this key. Somehow we can, we can nudge God and get him to do this little thing for us. Maybe you saw this on television. There was a, one of the major networks did a, a special on uh, evangelists and, and, uh, who held these tremendous rallies in, in these football stadiums. And it was a wonderful uh, special. But I remember <laughs> there was one in particular. Uh, they were covering this one. I think it was in Houston. And uh, it was a very stormy day and everything. And they were talking to uh, one of the front men or something. They were not talking to the evangelist. And uh, the guy said, Now, I want you to notice that the storm went around the stadium. Didn't touch the stadium, you see. And the uh, anchorman uh, the correspondent did the bait and everything said, oh, is that right? Well, this, why is that? Why do you think that is? And he said, well, you know, he went into how they prayed and how God uh, blessed this event because of the holy work that was being done here. Before they got through filming that evening, the rains came, got everybody there wet. The correspondent went back to the advanced man and said, now, tell me why it's raining now. <laughs> the guy said, God works in very mysterious ways. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember a guy got up once. See, uh, as I've told you, my mother's side of the family were all MDs and my dad's side of the family were all Christian scientists. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, so as a boy I went to I'd go to Christian Science services and I went to the Wednesday evening testimonial meeting. I remember one evening a man got up and kept the whole uh, church spellbound with the following story that he had this pot and it was. It was a dirty pot, and it was sort of crusted over with sort of black stuff. You see, he'd never been able to get this off. One night he was cooking with this pot, and suddenly he had to leave the house. Left the house, and he realized that he had left the stove on. He'd left this, the fire under the pot. Well, he, he did his Christian science treatment. Treated the pot situation and so forth activated God, brought God into the situation. And what happened was when he got home, the house hadn't burned down and the pot was clean. The, the fire had just sort of, you know, loosened all this black stuff. He rinsed it off. He had a clean pot. It was so inspiring. Wish you'd been there. <laughs> See the kind of silly stuff we get into when we... You see, A Course in Miracles says you can't bring God into the world, but you can bring the world to God. And the mistake that we make, and the reason we get so discouraged, is that we look to the world for confirmation. 
of our love of God, our faith in God, our turning to God. We think we're to be rewarded in the world because we have turned to God. And this is nonsense. Especially if you look at all this stuff that's going on as, as this dream that, that Adam dreamed, you see. The Bible never says he woke up. Now, what does a loving parent do? A loving parent doesn't go in, and if they have some sort of psychic ability that they could enter the, the, the dream of the child, they don't try to fix up the dream, the nightmare, and somehow sort of clean it up and make the monster go eat up other people instead of the, the child in the dream. Why? Because that would just keep the child in the dream. A loving parent is not interested in the dream. They're interested in the dreamer. We're interested in the little child that's asleep. We're not interested in what they're dreaming. We're interested in gently awakening them in our arms, in the arms of love. Not going in and manipulating the dream. What a hoax, what a cruelty this would be. If God came in and favored people, saved this person's child and not that one, Let's take Nazi Germany, for example. Now, so many of us have heard the stories about what happened to people who were caught behind the German lines. And we've heard stories about how people have turned to God and, and they appeared to be led right through the lines. But we forget that we also heard stories of people who turned to God and remained in the concentration camp with great peace. There's, there's no judgment there. If we start saying what reward we're supposed to receive, then this whole thing can become very confusing. But if we simply say, if I turn to God, I will have the peace of God because God will give me what he has and what he has is everything and it's eternal and it's bright and it's shining and it's beautiful and it's everlasting and it's totally ours. But this means nothing about the situation. So it is possible to have great peace during illness. It's not necessarily more spiritual to be healed, although we often will be healed when we turn to God. But to say that we must be healed when we turn to God is to miss the whole point. We're not turning to God. We're turning to God to get healed, to fix up the world. And we're telling him how it has to be done. We've all seen people have great peace, or at least know of people who've had great peace while they're dying. People have written books of having great peace while behind bars. There have even books been read where people have had the peace of God, the deep, profound peace of God while being tortured. Jesus did not turn and stop the, the crowds from throwing stones. He didn't treat them. Have him stop throwing stones. He didn't even stop violence against himself. 
Yes, he did heal those few who asked him to heal. He wasn't going around fixing up the world, but he was showing people how to have the peace of God, how to enter reality, how to go home. And if we think that healthy children and uh, protection from accidents and more money than others and so forth is what our reward will be, what is the comfort in that? How long will that sustain us? That our children are a little healthier. That we have a few less accidents. Who claims to have no accidents? It is, of course, true that as we turn to God, we have less accidents. We get sick a little less often. Why? Because we lose interest in accidents. We lose interest in getting sick. We lose interest in having crises in our relationships. And so there are fewer of them. As soon as we stop battling the world, then the world stops taking revenge on us. Because as long as we think the world is our enemy, then it will seem to wreak its revenge. Because we think we're in this slugging match with our finances, our children. As long as we think we're in a slugging match with anything, it's going to slug back. Because that's the way we've set it up. So, of course, we turn to God and we say, that's foolishness. I'm not going to mess with that anymore. I'm going to walk straight into the arms of my Father. Then we lose interest in all this stuff. And so there isn't as much of it. Gradually pass. But is that the reward? No, that's not what... That's, we almost happen to... We just notice that. It's like, a, it's like the wake behind a ship. It's lovely. It sparkles. And we notice it every once in a while. But we don't turn around and, and start trying to travel in the direction of the wake. This is very confusing if we do this. Because in all honesty, our prayers, our work, our metaphysical treatments do not prevent every accident, every disease, heal every body, pay every bill, and so forth. And so we torture ourselves because it's not working. It's not working because that's not what we're seeking. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God in his righteousness. Seek God in his love. Seek the peace of God. And what is your reward? <clears throat> your reward is God. When we begin a spiritual path, it's it's often like do uh, you remember the carousels that uh, used to have the I don't think they have this anymore, but they used to have the golden ring. You know, you'd reach for the golden ring as you went around. Do you all remember that? Probably the insurance company stopped all that. It's probably some kid that, you know, got a little bit too far out of the saddle. And, you know, now's the end of that. No more golden ring. 
But you'd reach for the golden ring, you see, and if you'd get it, what did you get? Another ride. <laughs> and what was the ring? It was brass. It was not golden. And all you got was another ring. And when we seek these kinds of things, if we make this our priority, to demonstrate, manifest, pray for good jobs, good cars, good patio furniture, you see. That's all, all we're doing is we're just grabbing the, the golden ring. It turns out to be brass. And what do we do? We get another ride. So that in five minutes you follow something. The ego comes up with something else that we need. Isn't that true? No end to it. If that's, if that's what you're looking for, yes, these principles do work that way. It is a fact that by holding something in thought, it can be manifested in your experience. And maybe you'd like to play with that for a while. And it is kind of interesting how that works. But it doesn't work consistently as long as you want the thing. And the reason it doesn't is that the ego is very conflicted about what it wants. Now, if you look at, say, you decide you want a new car, a specific kind of car and the color and so forth, and you cut this out and you've got your little image book and you're looking at that every day, holding that thought and so forth. If you would let yourself just daydream, and ask yourself, how would I like this to turn out? This is one of the lessons in the Course in Miracles, one of the little lessons in the workbook. It suggests this exercise more eloquently than I'm going to <laughs> give it to you. It says, using a degree of honesty that you may not be used to, ask yourself, how would you like for this to turn out? And you will see an outcome you would like. And then, in honesty, say, is there another way that I would also like for it to turn out. And you'll see, oh yes, it also could turn out this way, that would be nice. And oh yes, it could also turn out this way. And if you are very honest with yourself, you'll have a list of a number of ways that you would like for it to turn out and they conflict. The ego does not know what it wants. It is highly conflicted about what it wants. It thinks it wants a new car, but it's not sure how this is going to affect its relationships with its friends who don't believe in new cars. They're not spiritual, you see. <laughs> or it may make a dent in the finances, or whatever, you see. It's very conflicted about this. That's what prevents us from holding something in our thought with a degree of concentration that would allow it to be manifested. That's why this is like throwing dice. Yes, it will work, but notice it doesn't work every time and notice, if you are honest, that you often don't know what you want. We don't know what we want. Look at this carefully. The next time you think you want something, just sit down and just let everything sort of come up in your thought. And you'll see, well, I'm not sure if you want that. Maybe you want something this. And so now the ego, of course, like on the carousel, it gets from one horse to the other horse to the little bench and so forth. Each moment it thinks that this is the thing it wants, and it believes it with absolute certainty. But notice, three minutes later, you're wanting something else. It conflicts with the other thing, but now you know this with absolute certainty. 
Then you think of another factor and you change horses and so forth. This is why this business of holding things in thought doesn't work consistently. Yes, the principle is true. Yes, you can do it. And if you have a particular problem, maybe you would like to use that tool to disengage your mind so you can turn it back to God. It's very useful in that respect. But if you use it to try to somehow put all the goodies of earth in your basket, you're going to be very disappointed with this because your mind could have then stayed on Jesus. One of our hymns. Woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Came back. I was coming back up. Uh, it's in the Dallas airport. There's a large black man sitting down on the benches there. Asked him if I could sit there, and he moved his bag over. He said, yeah, sit down here. I sat down. Got to talking, and turned out he was a, he was a preacher, he was a Baptist preacher, Oklahoma. <laughs> So we, I'm a preacher, we can talk shop. (laughs) Start talking shop, man. Great. Said he had his sermon all prepared for tomorrow. And I said, yeah, I said, I prepared mine too. I said, I prepared it on the plane. He said, can't you hear him good up there? He talked so good up there. I said, yeah. That's true. I don't understand it, but it somehow seems to be. <laughs> there was a point in that. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. Another way, another analogy about this business of starting out in a spiritual path is sort of the fun house. But now the fun house. This is funny. Isn't it funny this is called a fun house and it's supposed to scare the living poo out of you? you know? <laughs> this is typical of the ego, though. You know, fun house. <laughs> Screeches of terror and everything else. <laughs> but uh, there's a spiritual fun house. So you remember that uh, we talked about the lower ego, how most of you are beyond mugging and raping and cheating people out of their money and so forth. I know there are exceptions. I understand. (laughs) And that how the ego then adopts the position of the higher ego, which we've called Edgar. Bible talks about this. Wolf in sheep's clothing and so forth. There's no doubt that it happens. So what happens is there's sort of a spiritual funhouse set up now, you see, because the ego sees what you're doing and it knows now the things that you want. It knows this new greed, the spiritual greed, you see. There is spiritual greed. So now instead of the goblins and the snakes and everything coming out, now it's uh, auras. Out they come. You say, oh, I want auras. Precognitions. I want Mary can do precognitions. I want precognitions. And it'll right. Psychic healings. Healings, that's a big one, do you see? Raising the dead. <laughs> do you remember the guy who had the frozen mother? 
Get him on television. His mother died. He put her in the freezer. Don't you remember that? It's covered on national news. Yeah. His mother died. And people got very upset about the fact that he put her in the freezer. But he said, but God had told him that he would be able to raise his mother from the dead. And I forget how many days, three days, something like that. They went to court and so forth. And the judge said, fine, if he wants to try to raise him, there's no harm. There's no harm being done. And this is a very, this is a very wise judge because although I talk to you, you crazy people, I talk to you about these things, of course, there's no point in going out and telling people that they shouldn't do the kinds of things that we are talking about, that they shouldn't try to manifest, you know, a new stereo system or something like that because it's so harmless. What difference does it make? If they want to do that, then that's fine. You don't have to say, yes, but you could be... Uh, holding your thought on God. Well, they're not ready to see that. When they're ready to see that, they will. And there's no gain in pointing this out and making people feel funny. And so many people come into a walk toward God because of these things. It doesn't matter how they got on the path. And in different religions, there are other attractions. So the, the ego sets up whatever fun house it needs. So, you know... For our brothers uh, down the street, it may be uh, speaking in tongues that comes out, or being slain in the spirit, or things like that. It's the same thing, whatever it is. If it's a greed, if it's something you've got to have, if it isn't the peace of God, then it's just one more little something we're running after. So anyway, uh, of course, he thought his mother out. <laughs> I had to bury her, you know, didn't raise her, didn't raise her from the dead, you see. Uh, I'm sorry, I wish there was a more dramatic ending to that. <laughs> uh, so after we get past that, because we can see through that pretty quickly, we begin to realize, so oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't what this is all about. Then the ego takes a little bit more subtle form. Uh, which is this business of that we've got to sacrifice for God. We've got to do penance. And so we make this path, which is so broad that it covers everything, so very narrow and tortuous. We do this. God doesn't do this. God says, my burden is light. I've come that you may have light and have it more abundantly. But we, we have all these rules, all these things that we think we've got to do, and so it makes what should be the most wonderful experience of our life so burdensome, so guilt-ridden, because we, we start thinking that there are spiritual things and unspiritual things out there, like, uh, oh, well, I'll just throw them out, you'll know, birds, spiritual or unspiritual? Spiritual. <laughs> Mucus forming dairy products. Unspiritual. <laughs> Double knit. <laughs> Jeans. Spiritual, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Microwaves. No. Vibrators. Yeah. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> self-reliance, vibrators, <laughs> taking responsibility. See, spiritual vibrators. <laughs> but sometimes you have the over overlapping because, of course, everybody knows movies are spiritual, but TV. <laughs> and then the problem comes, but now the movie you wanted to see, Resurrection, you wanted to see Resurrection, it's playing on TV. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, you go to one of those sinners' houses and watch it, you see. <laughs> so, when we get sick, we do this kind of thing. Silly nonsense, you see. Well, we got sick. Now, somehow... You see, we have this image of what a disciple of God looks like, what a disciple of God wears, kind of food a disciple of God eats, how it behaves. You see, we've got this image. This is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. This little picture. Notice that no one else has exactly the same picture. And somehow we think that this little description was on one of those tablets that Moses dropped, you see. <laughs> so, if you're a spiritual person, then you're supposed to, uh, if you're sick, even though you're so sick, you're somehow supposed to go to the office anyway. You're supposed to, you can't unplug the phone. Someone may need your help. You can't unplug the phone. Uh, you can't take uh, some medicine that might get you over this. Oh, you've got to go have your uh, chi lowered or something, you know. <laughs> so we get in this endless, complicated thing, but it could be so easy. I'm a very present help in times of trouble. I will never leave you comfortless, God says. Just turn in peace. What should I do? Well, the Course in the Miracle says that if you you're sick, you're withdrawing from God. And that, of course, is true. But if we withdraw from everything else when you're sick, if you withdraw from everything else and just be sick, <coughs> not saying not to use your mental or your spiritual thing or to pray or anything like that, but I'm saying if you'll just withdraw from everything else, then you can have great peace. But if you try to do 60 other things in the name of virtue, <coughs> goodness, and spirituality when you're sick, then of course it becomes very confusing. And we, we, we carry over this stuff about uh, poverty, you know, uh, economizing and so forth. We're saving money and saving energy and so forth. Now, if it gives you pleasure to do that, then that's fine. But it, uh, there's nothing more spiritual about uh, pumping your own gas. It's fine if you want to pump your own gas and it makes you more peaceful and it saves some money and that's fine. But uh, if, you know, if you've got your best dress on and somehow you can't do this, you know, you've got to pump the, the gas because it's somehow more spiritual to do. Well, that's ridiculous. We must learn how easy this whole thing is. If we'll just let it be easy. We just won't make the path so narrow. And we'll just say, there can be anything, anything's allowed except hurting people. We're not going to hurt people, but open yourself up to all options. 
to open yourself up to all options before you turn to God, then God can give you something very simple and direct that will help you immediately. But if you say, I can only do this, this, and this, because all this other stuff is unspiritual, then how can he speak to you? And then we have all these double standards, of course, like uh, it's okay to uh, protect yourself by taking vitamin C, but it's not okay to protect yourself by taking out an insurance policy. It's okay to take uh, to save the stub of your ticket as insurance, see, but uh, not supposed to use seatbelts. It's not spiritual. You know, God, you believe in God, and God's going to protect you, and so forth. Just do whatever you want to do. You really think God cares whether or not you lock your door? If it makes you more peaceful to lock your door, lock your door. If it makes you more peaceful to use the seatbelt, who would get in a car that had no brakes and expect God to brake your car at every single stop? But somehow, because you don't buckle the seatbelt, God's going to protect you because if you buckle the seatbelt, you would then be thinking negatively and you would be drawing accidents to you. Isn't this ridiculous? If you want to have a burglar alarm, have a burglar alarm. Now, possibly you don't want to set up an anti-tank gun at the door. There's a uh, there's a psychiatrist friend of mine uh, who recently had a patient, an adolescent boy, who would break into homes and clean them up. <laughs> Before this was discovered, for Christmas, he had gone to his parents and he said, uh, they said, what do you want for Christmas? He said, well, I'd like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so, oh, this is wonderful. Well, you know, they had fantasies of the house being vacuumed and so forth. The vacuum cleaner was never used. They couldn't understand as months went by. And then they discovered he was using it on other people's homes. So you don't have to maim the person who comes into your house, you see. <laughs> okay, well, let me see if I can summarize this madness. <laughs> there is no God in the world. But there is God, and God is everywhere. And God lays before you a path that is so gentle and so easy. <clears throat> Take advantage of all his kindnesses. There's many, many, many freedoms. Most of you are beyond hurting people. Just let go. Let yourself do what you want to do. In your heart is the will of God. What you want to do is to be happy, and to be kind, and to be peaceful. Peace comes from God, and happiness comes from God. You don't have to second-guess your motives. You don't have to look back and try to read some shabby motive into what you just did, pay penance from some, for some thought that you just had. <coughs> 
such an easy path. And we have all the time in the world, so many wonderful expressions, all the time in the world. There's no world and there's no time. You've got all the time in the world. You see? Another wonderful expression is in the twinkling of an eye. So when it's done, if your eye twinkles, it's all it is. Twinkle your eye. That's all you need to do. Let bygones be bygones. That's so wonderful. If we just do that one thing, this would be so easy. Just let the bygone be bygone. See? Let's say this one. Let's say this one again together. I'll say it and then you repeat after me. Whatever I worry about is not worth worrying about. Let's say that together. Whatever I worry about is not worth worrying about. So just take God's hand. Just have fun. Just relax. It is really okay to be happy now. You don't have to be defensive about whether or not you're going to do it right. There is no effort to make except the effort of rolling gently down the stream. That's the only effort. It's an effort of letting. It's an effort of relaxing. So, effort of enjoying. Why? Because God is a state of enjoying. That is so great and so vast and so bright that there is nothing in this world to even shadow it. We enter joy by being happy. Just be happy. We enter peace by being just a little relaxed. No, you don't have to worry about the future, not because God is somehow going to intervene personally on your behalf, because your way home is assured. Every sheep will be brought back into the fold. 